And now on to this week's show. Very, very excited to tell you we've got the amazing Michaela Bohem on. <sighs> Anyone that's followed this show for any amount of time will have heard me talk about Michaela, her book, The Wild Woman's Way, and just her just deep, deep wisdom. It's such an honor to have her on the show. Michaela is one among the most gifted and in-demand teachers, speakers and counsellors to be found globally today. Born and raised in Austria, Michaela received degrees in psychology and further extensive training in cognitive behavioural therapy, hypnosis and NLP. Upon moving to the United States in 1994, Michaela established a 20 plus year counselling practice logging over 40,000 client hours. She quickly became counsellor to the stars in Hollywood, California, and her ongoing clients include Oscar-winning actors, producers, writers, multiple Grammy-winning musicians, CEOs, and multi-billion dollar fund managers. In this conversation, we spoke about the power of beauty in creating aliveness, inspiration, pleasure, and embodiment. This is something that Michaela is seeing more deeply from the experiences of her house being burned down, her subsequent lack of real home, and then her current rebuilding of it. We also touched upon cultural expectations of beauty and how this shows up in how we experience women's bodies that don't fit those standards, for example, in ageing or post-children. Lastly, Michaela gives beautifully simple ways that anyone can choose into cultivating beauty in their lives. This is such a deep, gorgeous show. I think you're going to absolutely love it. I certainly did. Let's slide our way in. Hello, Michaela, and welcome to the show. Hello, and thanks for having me. Oh, just, you know, such, such a pleasure. I was just sharing... um, you know, this this is one of those episodes that it feels so perfect for our show. You're so perfect for our show. And it's kind of one of those things like, oh yeah, dream guests, kind of bucket list material. But then I realized I was feeling quite nervous before we started recording, which isn't normal for me. Um, and so I'm probably bringing a bit of that kind of heightened stuff into this show, but I'll try and try and stay settled. But then you brought up this amazing topic of beauty. So I kind of found myself getting all overexcited again. So <laughs> you might need to be the grounded one of the two of us in this one. So you you were saying that right now what's alive for you is rebuilding your house and then dropped in like how you see this connects very much to kind of intentionally creating beauty so which again is so so close to my own heart music to my ears when you suggest it as a topic um would you mind just sharing a little bit about you know what's what's the background to this like why are you rebuilding your house and then this kind of intention you have around how it's being rebuilt yeah, so I think for somebody who doesn't know anything about me, right, the thing to say is that I live in Southern California and have so for uh, many, many years. Um, and uh, um, home and having a home base is very, very important to me because I spent most of my uh, year on the road, mm-hmm. uh, going between Australia, the UK, Europe, and the US. And so home and uh, a place to rest for me is very important. And so in December 2017, my uh, property burned down uh, and with it, the house and everything in it. And I've spent the last two years, almost two years now, uh, not having that ground and not having that kind of grounding, stabilizing influence of having a home base. Mm. And um, one of the things that I've realized uh, during that time that I've always known, but it's become very apparent, is that in the absence of the grounding home base where everything that you own is available to you whenever you want it, right? all of that, of course, went, uh, beauty and the creation of beauty and the creation of an environment that allows for a kind of essential engagement and enlivenment and um, awakening is very, very important. And Mm. it's very interesting to play around with creating that kind of uh, beauty or the ritual of creating beauty um, anywhere I go. And so 
in that way, having kind of a home, and I'm making here quotation marks, away from home anywhere I can create that sense of anchoring via beauty. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I I don't know if I'm... I'm incorrect here. I kind of heard a little bit what you said, and I think maybe I've heard you speak about this before, but I I think that you've said before that you've always had that intention to, I don't know, create an altar or some place that has beauty when you travel. Is that true? And this is kind of, this experience has like um, just deepened that intention. Yes, I've always done that and I've done that for many, many years. But the, this, and that is one of the main things that I do whenever I land in an Airbnb or hotel or anything like that. Um, but this is a little bit beyond that in the sense that I'm also um, making sure that how my environment is and how my room is, and even when I teach for my participants, um, that there's kind of a clarity and the relaxation in the body when you enter the space. Mm. And now it's easier done in uh, your own home than it is when uh, you actually uh, are in a, you know, in a retreat uh, space or a public hall or somewhere. But you can align things and, and, and create kind of an order and declutter things so that the body goes, ah. Mm. And then the altars and having things um, that I really like, like flowers and candles and colors and textures, that's then the bonus on top of it that kind of dresses up the, the sense of alignment and the sense of um, internally felt beauty via a clarity in the space. Mm, yeah. And I love the way that you're pointing to kind of the depths available here, that there's a, a kind of a surface level, which um, I think, you know, most of us appreciate beauty. And yeah. that was something that, again, wasn't, you weren't alien to, you absolutely did have that. But there's, it seems as though you're seeing like new depths and, and sort of more opportunity through that intentional creation of beauty than perhaps you had before? Yes, I would say the need to um, have more of that became more apparent once I no longer had a home. Mm. And of course, while I am rebuilding a home and I'm now picking colors and things like that, um, that has deepened even more because now I get to intentionally create uh, a place where my entire system can rest and also because I also teach out of and, and work out of my home, uh, also where people can come and enter into that kind of um, open relaxation and and inspiring sensual engagement, you know. Mm. And that's that's definitely heightened uh, substantially now that I'm getting to you know. It's one thing when and often it's a bit easier when you go with an existing structure and you can just do a little bit of renovation or paint or redecorating, it's easier than when you create from scratch because mm. there's so much more to consider. Yeah, yeah. I, the word you used just then was um, inspiration and that really kind of stood out to me. And I guess in a, in a way, you know, that is what be, one of the things that beauty really provides to us is inspiration. Yes. And I think in this world where we tend to be very aligned to order and practicality and productivity, we don't see the power and the, um, the, the I, I can't, I'm almost grasping for the words, but like, you know, why, why are you seeing that that kind of inspiration that creates is something of value? Well, the value lies in, uh, let's see how I can say this. Um, the value lies in the, our nervous system being able to withstand the pressures of everyday life better. Mm -hmm. right? So if I would have to make one sentence out of it, because essentially 
um, we have to function in uh, some fairly high stress situations these days. Just the amount of input we have, you know, from social media and and our devices and the way we have to be in the world and it's loud and it's uh, busy and there's lots of people and all of those kind of things. So we have a lot more. Um, uh, stress and tension on our nervous system, our bodies and 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 the way we function are uh, much more taxed than they used to be. You know, when you mm-hmm. when didn't have electric light, you go into bed with the with the chickens. You woke up with the chickens. It's <laughs> kind of a situation, right? So anything we can do to calm our nervous system is good. Right, that that's just the way it goes. Anything we can do to release stress, to decrease the overwhelm and the noise in our system is good because that, of course, means we're more productive, um, we're more intuitive, we're more able to connect with ourselves and someone else. Mm. So that's that. But then, um, if we go a little bit further from there, the engagement with our senses is the quintessential um, way we engage with our bodies, right, and with life. And, and it is um, a function of survival, right? The, the, the most important piece, of course, is that our body can function. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then right behind that is the essential uh, awareness and engagement. And most people have forgotten that the way we stay alive in the world and have survived for millions of years is via our senses. Mm-hmm. Right? Because that's not as apparent. But if you are out in the wilderness and you have to uh, survive, you do need your five senses. Mm-hmm. You actually yeah. need all six, right? You need the intuition too, um, particularly. But you need to see, you need to hear, you need to taste or you won't know if you're eating something poisonous, you need to smell to know if the meat that you've hunted is still edible and so on and so on, right? So sensual engagement is not really a luxury and it's not just some foo-foo thing one does when one wants to be sexy. It's actually the thing that keeps the entire system tuned towards the experiences that grant survival. Mm. Oh, I love that. It's Yeah, I, I love the way you're kind of... I think this is almost like the first principles of presence and embodiment that are often missed. Like it can seem like we're talking about senses as like, it's just almost like this um, uh, sort of frippery, like, uh, you know, we can do without that. And uh, yeah, I love the way you've grounded this. Like, no, this is kind of one of the most important things. Can I just quickly share an experience I had that really, I had a really embodied experience of this early this week. It's, um, it's getting really dark early here in England now. So by about it's half five now and it's pitch black out there. And um, so when I'm walking the dogs about 5 p.m., it's already getting darker and darker. And I was walking, um, we're surrounded by countryside, so no street lights, just dark. And um, I was walking home with the dogs a couple of nights ago and I was thinking, wow, I'm really present now to the, the, the importance of my senses. And I was, it's ironic because I'm half deaf. Um, my eyesight's not that fantastic. And I was really noticing kind of like it was my other senses were so attuned. Like I was so attuned to kind of feelings on my skin and my, the smells. And I was thinking, wow. And it's like, I wasn't choosing to do that. I could feel this like alertness, this like awakening of what senses I did have available. And so it's just very recent. I've had the exact experience. Like, ah, there's a very good reason for these senses. Exactly. And then furthermore, you were saying, how is inspiration good for us, right? Inspiration, as you probably know, comes from, you know, is is taken from the Latin word inspirare, which is breathing in, right? Mm. So... The in the in breath, right? The is is an embodied is an embodied function, and so inspiration. If we want to take it a little bit more, you know, into the the wider thing, is the thing that also connects you with your body. It, it connects you with being alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and makes the, the 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 function of being a human wider and bigger and nicer in in a certain way. Right? Mm. So 
um, from that viewpoint, beauty and the engagement with and beauty as a vehicle to engage with the senses um, is a very important aspect of the work I do. It's yeah, it's one of many aspects of the work I do, but it is because you were asking what's most alive. That's certainly something that I'm really engaging with right now because um, I find it extremely useful also um, as a medium of to counteract trauma, right? So one of the things that I did when right after the fire uh, where everything was burned right and and melted and black and soot and you know the, the, the air quality was really bad and it was I mean, it was very 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 horrendous because it wasn't just you know the house burned it was the entire all the way up to the top of the mountains was gone mm-hmm. so I went and I bought uh, blue glazed plant pots and I bought whatever blooming things they had in December wasn't much. It was mostly a few poinsettias and a few and, and a gardenia or something like that. And um, I right in front of the, the door of the house I was staying in after the fire, I put flowers so that um, all that destruction was counteracted by a thing of beauty, something that reminded me that somewhere out there in the world. Uh, not everything was burned and not everything was lost, so to speak. And so um, I've, I've since realized that that kind of engagement also has a, a very strong embodying and uh, de-escalating effect on the system. Mm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. There's almost a... In order... It's it's a bit like kind of what comes first, the chicken or the egg, as as many of these things are. But I was thinking there's there's almost this um, message being given to your body constantly, like if there's time and there's um, possibility to create beauty, things can't be this that that dangerous. There must be space to relax when there's space for beauty. Correct. Mm. Yeah, I love that. Mm. I'm just seeing how, you know, whilst there's this growing, growing awareness of embodiment and how the body relates to trauma, how it allows us to kind of be very present, um, I feel that this this conversation around beauty isn't often connected there. And I'm seeing more and more as we're talking, like, wow, it's incredible that it's not spoken about more because it's so deeply connected. It's such a powerful vehicle. Yeah. Mm. Well, one of the reasons it isn't is it's considered frivolous. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And it's considered a luxury uh, pursuit, right? Now, needless to say, we all do it in all kinds of ways, right? And even... um, you know, I was just in Australia and I made friends with a magpie. Um, and, uh, you know, magpies, they deck out their nests with shiny objects mm-hmm. and they love black. Yeah. And then they love sh- shiny things on top of black in their nests. I mean, where the hell does that come from? Mm-hmm. Right? That is simply a function of, um, you know, it's not a, it's not an interior design decision that the magpie makes and hires someone. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an impulse, and it's an impulse because that's how we relate to other people, and that's how we, uh, you know, ascertain who we want to combine ourselves with. And that's, you know, there's so much to it. It's not a, a fluffy kind of frivolous pursuit but it's often seen as such together with pleasure and together with a few other things where um you know you're kind of going well that's 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 optional when everything else is um dealt with and often you see that that is made optional because um people who are really really under the gun to just keep a head over uh, you know uh, a roof over their head don't often have the luxury to do things that are considered the the classic beautifying things. But then on the other hand, I once saw an entire book uh, of photos in a township in South Africa, slums, like real slums where people essentially built themselves a tiny little place to live in out of cardboard boxes. And on the inside, they're decked out in the most gorgeous way with like anything that was colorful, you know, and, and flowers made out of, plastic bags and you know I mean wow 
And so I, I got a real sense there as well of, yeah, you can make beauty even if you don't have the funds or the, the wherewithal. And it does relax your system and it gives you a reprieve um, towards, you know, having a moment of sanity. Mm, yeah. And like you say, it's um, it feels that this is very linked to pleasure, which is already something that's often seen as a nice to have and, you know, diminished as something, you know, just um, optional. And um, I'd love to know what your thoughts are on this, how for me, it feels that beauty, like the, the um, you know, gazing on beauty or, in get, you know, it could be touching beauty, seeing beauty, basically consuming it with my senses. That is pleasure. Um, so I'd love to know your thoughts on like how that links. And um, again, why, um, I guess there's lots of ways that we can um, experience pleasure and like why this, this kind of particular route via beauty is, a, is one that you're seeing has kind of, you know, particular power. Well, I mean, there's many that have a lot of power, right? But um, there's people who consider pleasure to just be sexual. I'm not one of those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's people who consider pleasure anything that's essentially alive, so to speak. I tend more towards that camp. But um, I think pleasure can be, uh, you know, just the feeling of being alive. It can be sensual aliveness. It can be feelings of well-being and and um, you know, I don't know what the word, but the, the the general engagement with the senses and the surroundings. And it can, of course, be localized to certain areas of the body where pleasure intensifies, like in the sexual domain, doesn't only have to be in the sexual domain. So I would say that's all pleasure. And um, I don't think one is better than the other, but I have certainly found in my experience in working with people that um, when there's a sensual aliveness in the body, sexual pleasure is easier to access Mm. because um, the the body is already primed, so to speak. And then when you want to go into a sexual area, uh, meaning either, you know, an actual sexual touch or just in general, a sexual engagement with the body, you're not starting from zero. Mm. You're already at 50 or 70 or 80% because you are surrounded by uh, beauty and, 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 you know, you smell things that you like and you look at things that you like and you touch the fur of your dogs and it makes your body feel and sensitize. And then that feeds into when you want actual sexual engagement, you're already halfway or more there. Mm. And so, and of course, it's much, much easier to spend some time throughout the day engaging with your senses via beauty, but also via ritual and just via a general mindfulness where where the, the pump is primed. And then when you go into the sexual occasion, either by yourself or with a partner, uh, you're not having to start from standing, so to speak. Mm, yeah, I love that. It makes so much sense. And um, I don't think I've quite connected it as, as clearly as you're just saying it until now, how like there's um, that kind of living in that way that prioritizes the senses that helps you kind of, you say, sort of move up the percentages, but like how beauty itself and Mm -hmm. our surroundings, our environment are part of that. Uh, Yeah, that makes so much sense. I was just thinking as you're talking that I think there's the one view of beauty, which is around it being this kind of trivial thing, optional thing. And then I, th- I was thinking, in our culture, there's this other other path, let's say, that it takes, or other way it manifests, which is um, a kind of words like objectification and um, this kind of need to keep up appearances, and that could be our houses. Or it could be, and obviously this is particularly true for women, but I, I don't think men get away likely with it, lightly with this either. But how beauty has been kind of like warped and um, kind of 
almost like weaponized in, in its kind of furthest extreme. So I haven't got a particular question, but I'd just love to know, I can kind of almost see how we can kind of start off with this like great intentions towards cultivating beauty, but then it can tip over into almost like its shadow, I suppose. But I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is definitely the other side of the coin or the shadow side, right? Where there is a high value placed on looks. Mm. And of course, the, and that's always been the case, by the way, right? This is not a new thing because when you look at Renaissance paintings, um, an, an era that I just really love, right? When you look at that and you see the naked form of, of humans and of women, you know, not, but not only women, it's a totally different body type and it's a totally different uh, build and everything. But that was considered the height of beauty and that was the inspiration back then. Right. And so we now look at it and go, oh, yeah, the women back then, you know, were way or, or Baroque or something like that. Right. The women, the women in the Baroque depiction were Baroque. Right. They were <laughs> curvy and heavy and everything. And that was considered the ultimate beauty. Now, needless to say, the women back then who were skinny and gaunt weren't looked at as beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so now we have. Uh, a certain kind of a standard that keeps certain people from being considered beautiful. And that there seems to be a general um, trend towards what's considered beautiful or not. And that I don't think we can only blame it on the male gaze, which is, you know, a, a, a very uh, popular argument that this is just because men see women that way. I don't think that's entirely true because this also goes the other way around and it's also women to women a lot of times women to women is actually worse than what men can ever produce in that department because most men are actually not that picky when it comes down to it Mm. um otherwise we all wouldn't have partners (laughs) (laughs) nobody is as perfect as the as the you know the public image of a supermodel or something like that yeah but it's also uh, us putting a lot of pressure on us by looking at role models that are not really role models, particularly nowadays when everything's photoshopped and enhanced and filtered and moved and made skinnier and everything, right? We have very unrealistic ideas of what beauty looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are once again, I think the way to go is uh, from the internal to the external, where you kind of make friends with your internal, with yourself within the context of your environment. And then from there, um, adorn yourself and dress yourself and be with yourself in ways that feel uh, sensually pleasing. Mm-hmm. And that essential pleasure and that sensual aliveness translates out into an attitude and and i mean we all know this that this is also visual because anybody who's ever been in love is being told by other people how glowing they are yeah. but they haven't changed externally at all there's just an internal um attitude that and and of course there's neurotransmitters and all kinds of things that make us more beautiful so to speak right Mm. and not beautiful in the common sense but alive and radiant and joyous and that radiance and and joy is what's ultimately attractive beyond the uh, physical form and the physical form for all of us will of course go and you know I think it's a it's a very very difficult topic and I think you know, how can I say this? I'm now at an age which is really quite interesting. And this has only occurred to me viscerally. You know, you know about these things mentally, but viscerally in the last couple of years, I'm now at an age where I can look pretty much at almost any mainstream magazine cover or a clothing catalog that comes or things like that. And I'm no longer represented, mm. right? I'm. I. I. I did. I saw this yesterday. I was. You know, there was a. I had come back from a trip, and there was a bunch of fall clothing. You know, catalogs, and I was like leafing through a few catalogs that I liked, and um, four out of those five catalogs had women in their twenties. 
Mm. And yes, we're getting more inclusive and there's more body shapes and all of that. But really, you know, clothes just don't look that good on certain people. So they're not being photographed in them as when you want to sell something. Mm. And I understand that. And I don't, I'm not one of those who, who, who kind of insists that everything needs to be for everyone. But I'm now at an age where very rarely do I see women my age wear the clothes I'd like to wear. Mm. Yeah. And, um, and the same is also true in a certain way. Um, I had a very, very impactful, um, this is a slightly different topic, but in the same vein, and a very impactful experience of watching women, in this case, there were Tibetan nuns, Tibetan practitioners, and there was, it was a documentary about women coming out of a three-year meditation retreat. And oh, wow. uh, yeah. And it was so impactful because I I hadn't realized that I actually haven't seen that much. Mm. Right? And as as bodies, this is true for men and women alike, but I think women have more of that based on certain evolutionary requirements. We learn through uh, resonance. Mm-hmm. Right? And certainly when we talk about beauty and the way we dress and the way we walk and the way we put ourselves together and fashion and stuff like that, we learn through resonance. And we look at other women and what they wear and we get inspired or, you know, the ob- but sometimes it's the, the opposite. But in general, we, we get inspired to try something or we see a woman walk and the way she moves her body is really, uh, you know, enlivening and we're like oh wow you know she's amazing or something like that and so when you when when the definition of beauty is so narrow mm-hmm. um it doesn't leave a lot of inspiration it leaves a lot of competition mm-hmm. which is something that i think we suffer from at this particular moment in time that there's a lot of competition there's yeah. a lot of inspiration because there isn't you don't see much, right? You don't see much of what you can actually aspire to mm. or can be inspired by. And, um, and, and you know, I'm talking about this uh, as a current exploration for myself. So I don't have the definite answers on this yet or a definite opinion on that. I'm just noticing certain things and I'm noticing... Um, the, the, the fifth of those catalogs I saw had a woman who was probably in her, I would say probably late 50s as one of the main models. And it also had uh, women of all shapes in the kind of underwear lounge section. Mm-hmm. And as uh, inspiring and as relaxing as I found that, I also could feel my own reluctance to go there, mm. right? Uh, particularly, um, there was there was one photo of a woman in a very tiny little underwear uh, combo who had fresh stretch marks. Mm-hmm. And my conscious mind goes, wow, that's really cool, mm-hmm. right? That's, I mean, that's such a big step in the right direction because most women who have children have to go through that. Not everybody has stretch marks, but, you know, it's a, it's a common experience. Mm-hmm. Why is it not depicted, right? Yeah. And there it was. And it was very, it was very beautiful in, a, in an interesting way. But I could feel that another part of me was going, yeah, but I don't, you know, I, I, this isn't, this doesn't look like it should look, mm. right? And, and I really sat with that for most of that day and sat with the photo for most of the day and felt through all my conditionings and all my ideas about um, how, how things should look and how I should look and all of that. And I think the engagement with that entire, um, topic, right? Uh, standards of beauty, how we should look versus how we do look, being inspired by other women who look like us, normalizing normal bodies to other normal bodies. Uh, there's such deep 
work to be done, right? Mm-hmm. And not entirely comfortable work by any means. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And I think anybody who just pretends that, that they are all cool with all of that is probably, I wouldn't say not everybody, but you have to feel pretty deep to thread apart cultural conditioning, your own belief about yourself, the hope that one day we look perfect, the knowledge that we won't, mm-hmm. uh, the inspiration versus the competition, right? Um, standards of beauty that are just, based on biology versus conditioning and society, you know, there's so much in there Mm. that deserves a good, cold, hard, honest look, really. Mm. Wow. Yes. It's like when I first asked you the question, um, I could feel myself being pulled there, but I'm so glad I asked you because I think there's like, like you say, there's so much depth there. And um, there's a couple of things that really stood out to me in what you were saying, um, first was that the way that we can be very uh, focused, very pulled by external beauty and a very like specific, you know, it needs to look like this to be considered beautiful versus that internal sense of what's true for us. And I was thinking how you gave the example of when someone's in love, but I was thinking the other times where I am really present to another woman's beauty is um, in situations either in circle, in like intentional women's circles or um, situations that have similar ingredients. I had an example last week where I recorded a podcast episode with another woman and there was such depth and vulnerability that she was bringing to the conversation. At the end of it, I, I said to her, I'm so present to your beauty at the, this moment because it was just like, it was like just radiating out. I mean, she just was, yeah, it was like, like I couldn't not say it, you know, it was, just hit me so strongly. And, um, but normally we're, and I say again, if, if when I'm in circle with other women and it's a very different kind of, it's not like this competitive, oh, is she more beautiful than me? There's something much deeper where it's like, oh my goodness, it's like an inspiration, but of a different kind where I look around the faces, like everyone looks so radiant. Um, so that that came to me and how it isn't, it isn't something, and I think the change is probably more in me that my I get attuned to a different kind of beauty in those settings than I do as I'm going around my normal business. And then the other thing that you were saying there about the not, not um, maybe seeing um, people that can provide that inspiration if we're at an age or whatever it might be that's different to that kind of considered view of beauty and the effect that has. And I was just, you brought to mind, I remember years and years ago, I was with my stepmother and we we're on holiday and she was in her maybe fifties, I think. And she, she had very similar hair to yours, like really gorgeous, you know, like just, yeah, opposite of mine, but you know, gorgeous curls. And she was saying, you know, there's a certain age where she really sees that women just like, it's like, that's not allowed for them anymore. And she was pointing out in the restaurant, all these women who had kind of gone to these like crop, like men's haircuts, basically. And, um, Right here, yes. Yeah, and I've never really noticed. I suppose that that was like kind of a point where that those women were like invisible to me, but almost like they'd, they'd actually chosen into invisibility by that decision. And I'm thinking it's so mm-hmm. interesting how there's a point where, and I, I think this is cultural, but I'd be interested to know what you think. Where it's it's kind of like not considered okay for a woman to be in that. Um, curating of beauty almost like it's no longer for them and so I'd love to know what you think about that you know it seems as though you're you're saying I'm going to continue curating it and continue looking for inspiration and creating inspiration Um, what do you think about that? Well you know this is this is another one of those topics where I'm just right on the cusp of having to experience this myself right So one could say, and I have heard women say this to me, because I have asked about this, 
that for some women, um, the arrival of menopause and everything that comes with it is a relief because they have spent their entire life um, having to create this external image of themselves, mm-hmm. right? I've had women say to me, you know what? I am so glad I don't have to care anymore. I have a haircut where I can step out of the shower. I don't have to color anymore. I'm no longer waxing. I'm no longer doing any of these things. I can just be myself. And uh, I'm invisible to people anyway, so I might as well just not have to do all that stuff that that I found annoying. Mm-hmm. I've also women say, you know what, it is so great. I can buy a walk by a construction site. Nobody takes it, uh, you know, any notice of me. I've had also a lot of women say that it's one of the hardest things is to become invisible. Mm. And and they haven't given up, right? We are making the making the quotation yeah. mark. For some women it is a giving up. And for some women it's a conscious relinquishing. And then of course for some women it's a societally enforced thing right Mm -hmm. um i remember distinctly when i turned 40 that my hairdresser said to me well do you think you should i mean now you should should cut your hair shorter (gasps) and it was like uh no (laughs) no 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 this is not how we're gonna go right yes so um so so there's all of that right so so for some women, there's a real relief into not having to perform that function anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's easier for women who are in stable, loving relationships where both people are kind of getting on and other things become more important. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, previous generations to us, it was also considered that you really didn't date in your 50s, 60s, 70s, even if you were divorced or your husband died, things like that. So there was really, you know, very little reason to perform certain functions anymore. Um, Then there is the societal thing where, you know, I mean, I remember thinking that old people having sex was gross when I was in my 20s Mm -hmm. or 30s, right? Now, of course, I know, that that is so not true and why should it be and you know all of those kind of things but there's a certain kind of an idea of how things are when you are younger and that of course enforces how it is for older people and how it how they saw their parents and grandparents and so on and so on and then there's the individual um, realization that when you are of a certain age and you're no longer considered sexually viable in the reproduction sense, um, and also uh, a lot of people look for that younger, shinier, more vibrant external beauty, you do become somewhat invisible. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I remember specifically, um, how shall I say this? Well, I never, I don't remember it specifically, but I just know when I remember back that anytime I walked into a room, people would look up. Mm-hmm. Now, I never questioned that. I never went, oh, that's because, you know, I'm a woman and I have, you know, hair and shiny skin or something like that. I never questioned that. That was just the way it was. You walk into a room, people look at you. I can now walk into a room without anyone looking, mm-hmm. right? just by the fact that I'm no longer on the radar of a certain consideration. Mm -hmm. Not everywhere, not all the time. You know, I'm like right on the cusp. I can kind of shape shift in and out (laughs) of things. But but that's a function of a certain biological thing and also a societal thing Mm -hmm. and personal preference that people have. And I have friends who are in their 50s and 60s who would like to date and it is not an easy thing to do. Mm. Because a man in his 60s can date a woman in her 30s, 40s and 50s, right? And and below, if, you know, he so wishes, if he's rich enough, he can deal below. (laughs) It's a a cynical thing, but it's true, right? You see it all the time. Mm. Well, uh, a woman in her 50s or 60s might not want to date a man in his 80s or 70s because, uh, you know, you might feel extremely uh, vital and, and alive and, and good. And 
So you don't necessarily want to date the men who consider you younger women. You want to date somebody of an equal age. And that person has a whole other uh, viewpoint on what they want, potentially. Right? This is a topic fraught with a lot of mm. ideology and drama and anything I say can be refuted, absolutely. And the last time I talked about this in a podcast, a few women came after me very, very, very hard saying that uh, I must be really quite insecure and horrible for um, saying that I notice these things. But I don't, I'm neither insecure nor uh, particularly fussed by it. I just am observing these things mm. uh, and drawing my conclusions. Now, am I going to cut my hair? Absolutely not. Am I thinking um, of toning it down? No. Do I want to stay sexually alive and active and full as long as my body cooperates? Absolutely. Um, do the criteria change? Yeah. Yeah. And I can certainly say that um, I have relaxed a lot around my body and, and, and you know, and, and certain things. And on the other hand, I've gotten a lot more interested in other aspects that, that are my body and nutrition and health and wellness, uh, because I can now suddenly notice the difference between, you know, sleeping eight hours or sleeping four hours or mm. hydrating or not hydrating. So I think there's a gift at every age. And um, I think there's the chance of great aliveness at every age, but to negate the societal and also biological aspects would be... Um, you know, it's it's not of service to anyone. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I think you bring a real a clear sightedness, and when that's not, I can tell that you have such an intention to see things deeply and clearly. That you'll spend time, like the example you gave with the the woman in the catalogue, and I think that's something really, really to be honoured in our society, where we can be very. I was just talking to Sabrina Lynn um, on an earlier podcast episode about something similar where the, the knee-jerk reaction is to kind of make wrong whatever's out there rather than to kind of look at what it's showing us about ourselves. And so I love the way you are so committed to that and model that. I think that's, uh, yeah, so, so needed. Um, well, the time has flown by and I feel like I just want to ask you so much more on this topic. It's kind of like, it started in this like one area and it feels like it's kind of exploded into all these other really juicy areas. Um, but we do, we do need to uh, wrap up. If there's, and I do also just to say, I really appreciate the way that this is. So as you're saying, some aspects of this are quite fresh for you and I really appreciate you being willing to share from that place anyway you know that, that's so gorgeous and uh, I can hear the freshness in this um what would you say for listeners who are are hearing something here for them and perhaps this this conversation around beauty didn't feel like it was for them until now you know maybe for some of the reasons you've said what would you say would be a good place for them to look next a next step for them something that kind of like opens the door into creating beauty in their lives well you know i wrote about this extensively in the book as a way as a means or a portal into embodiment right becoming alive in the body and uh, intuitive and, and and sensual and all of those things and um I give there like a whole bunch of like hacks, you know, like how, how everybody wants a hack. So one of the beauty hacks or sensuality hacks that I use is I always have either a flower or a candle or a little bit of aerosol, like a rose water spray or something. So wherever I am in the car and public transport on a plane, uh, you know, or something, I have something where I can engage with my senses. I often sit on a plane and massage my hands with some nice lotion because there's not much else to do anyway and really focus on feeling my body. Or um, this morning, I actually just posted on, on, on Instagram a photo of my office altar. So my half of my desk is flowers and candles and, and things I like so that anywhere I go, I have a moment where I'll come alive as a feeling human being and that anybody can do. Mm. And 
you know, people do this instinctively. That's why even people in cubicles have photos or, you know, a little plant or whatever. It, it, we have an instinctive um, orientation towards hmm. uh, nature, right? And nature in, within within the sensuality and the smell and the taste and, and all of that. So uh, the first and, and foremost step is always to find something that you can connect with, that reminds you that you have a body and that reminds you that you're alive and uh, reminds you that you have senses. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I, as you say, this is very natural anyway. That's why people have photos and cubicles. But exactly. I think bringing this the intention to reconnect to beauty, reconnect to our senses, reconnect to our body, I think adds another dimension. Mm -hmm. It's so simple, but I think, again, so so precious. People sometimes don't want to do the simple stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's been gorgeous. Thank you so much. Um, For people... Find out more about you and your gorgeous work. Um, you mentioned the book, which I'd so re- I mean, I recommend it all the time. Um, so I definitely recommend that that. But what would you where would you suggest people go to find out more about you? Yes. Well, so the book's called The Wild Woman's Way, we should mm-hmm. say that. Um, and then my website, Michaelaboom.com, I'm assuming you'll post it in the show notes. Sure. Right? It's, a, it's a bit uh tedious to spell right it's michael with an a at the end and then b-o-e-h-m.com has absolutely everything there's loads and loads and loads of free uh q a material i always record uh, the answers to my to people's questions in in workshops and uh, there's lectures and you know there's reading and there's of course all the workshops i teach extensively in uh, the, in europe and the uk so it's pretty easy to find me and i don't actually know when you're airing this but i will be in london uh for a workshop november 22nd uh, but then we'll also come back later in the uh, well earlier next year and mm. So there's lots happening in Europe and the UK next year as well. Oh, wonderful. We'll see if we can get it out uh, before then so people can... Uh, have you still got places available for... Yeah. yeah, I'm doing Women's Day and it's a very large space so I can absolutely accommodate people. Gorgeous. Thank yeah. you so much. And um, I, I have to say, and this was the comment I got from women um, when your book first came out and I'd recommended it, there was um, the... The term I heard over and over again was how generous you are, like how generous you've been in terms of the level of detail of practices that you've given in your book. And the same, you know, I, I love your podcast. You are, you have such a generosity of spirit. So thank you so much for that. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, this has been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. And uh, I, I feel like now I didn't need to be nervous. It's, it's, it's been actually a really enjoyable experience oh, for me. <laughs> 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 thank you All right. thank you very much wow <laughs> Michaela certainly didn't disappoint what a wonderful episode that was <laughs>